this couple, um, young couple, and you know they're they're struggling to get their budget in order and make their ends meet because you know they live in the the same society we do. Um, but uh, one day they went shopping, and really they went window shopping. You know, where you just look at things that you don't actually plan to buy anything. You know, just to dream. And um, you know, the the man decided to go over to you know the man section and look at like tools or you know whatever those guys do. You know, fishing stuff or something. And uh, his wife went off and to look at things that she liked. And um, later they met back up, and the wife looked a little little ashamed, and she had this bag from this store and. Uh, a little bit uh, nervous about it all, and the uh, guy goes, uh, what, what's going on? What did you buy? You know, we, we didn't budget any money to actually buy anything, and she was like, well, you know, it was kind of a good deal, um, and uh, hands him the receipt. It was $500 on one dress, okay? The man's like, how could you do this? You know, this doesn't fit in our budget, and uh, she's like, well, I was outside the store, and I was looking at this dress through the window, and then all of a sudden, I found myself trying it on. And she's like, I, I don't even know how that happened. But, I mean, it was like Satan was whispering in my ear, you look fabulous in that dress. You should buy it. And the man, really frustrated, is like, well, you know how I deal with those type of temptations? I tell Satan, get behind me. And she's like, oh, oh, I did. And then he was like, it looks fabulous from back here, too. <laughs> uh, That is like one of the best jokes. All right, so uh, we're continuing in our series, The Headlines of Jesus, and uh, we've been going through this series where we're we're walking through Jesus' life through the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament, and uh, we're looking at kind of these main themes and things that happened through Jesus' life, what we would call the headlines of his life, and uh, we want to make those the headlines of our lives because the word Christian means for us to be Christ-like, and if we're going to be like him, then Man, I want the same things that Jesus did to be the same things people see and know about my life, all that same. So um, last week, we talked about the baptism of Jesus and that God promises to meet us at that place of repentance. And that's why God showed up when Jesus was baptized and, and spoke over him, because it was a promise for all of us that when we repent, he will meet us there. Right now, today's headline is that Jesus was tempted. Right, Last week was all about to do when we, we've come to the knowledge that we have sinned. And that we need a Savior. And so when God comes and meets us in those repentance, and, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of baptism is that our old life is gone of sin and we are made into a new creation. But this week we're going to talk about how to stay away from sin. How to handle, handle temptation as our example Jesus did. But before we get there, I want to remind you that on this side of heaven, you won't ever be perfect. Right? You'll never become sinless. You know, the goal is not sinless. I mean, it, it is, but it's, it's, sometimes it becomes this unattainable goal that we don't want to strive for. Right? But the goal is to sin less. The more we're around Jesus, the more we're trying to live like him, we would eventually sin less. Right? We cannot put that expectation of perfection on ourselves, and we definitely cannot put that on other people. Right? As we talked about last week, God knows we would stumble into sin. Right? That's why he put into place a, re- a plan of repentance and a spot for us to go, all right, I've messed up, God, and I need you again. And he promises to meet us there. I want you to listen from, to this excerpt um, from the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. It says, there is a myth flourishing in the church today that has caused incalculable harm. That once converted, you're fully converted. In other words, once I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, an irreversible, sinless feature beckons. 
Discipleship will be an untarnished success story. Life will be an unbroken upward spiral towards holiness. Tell the poor Peter, who after three times of professing his love for Jesus on the beach, and after receiving the fullness of the Spirit at Pentecost, was still jealous of Paul's apostolic success. Justification by grace through faith means that I have been set in a right relationship with God, not made the equivalent of a patient etherized on a table. According to ancient Christian legend, a saint once knelt down and prayed, Dear God, I have only one desire in life. Give me the grace of never offending you again. When God heard this, he started laughing out loud. Right? That's what they all ask for. But if I granted everyone this grace, tell me, whom would I forgive? Now, as you get to know me, one of the things you'll find out about me and something that I deeply believe is that I believe that all of life has a balance. That, that you should never live on any extreme and that the best place to go through life is somewhere in the middle. So while we need to understand that we all sin, right, and God knows we will sin, it's not an excuse for us to continue to sin, right? We need to try our best to avoid it. Now, the other side of the argument to balance this out is that Jesus never sinned, right? And he asked us to follow his example. He not only taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one and lead us not into temptation, but he was tempted, and he avoided sin as an example for us. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, and we're going to look at when Jesus was tempted. We're going to start at verse 1 of Luke 4. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Has anyone else ever felt like for 40 days straight Satan was tempting you? just bugging the crap out of you, right? You're like, man, this is not okay. Um, that just makes you more like Jesus, okay? So next time, just be like, thank you, you know? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't thank Satan for anything ever, um, okay? But as we continue through this, we're going to find that, that Jesus was tempted by Satan in three ways. And I believe these three ways that he was tempted are the three ways he kind of comes to try and tempt all of us. So in verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. The first way Satan will tempt you is physically. right? He knows where we are in need and where we are weak, and he knows what you want. right? Satan doesn't know your thoughts. He can't read your mind. But he does have ears to be able to hear what you say out loud to other people, where your struggles are. right? He's also been studying humans for years. He understands our ways, our passions, our desires, our, our basic needs. He knows where we struggle. You know, on top of that, the world we live in does not make it easy, right? There's constant temptation to just do what our flesh wants, indulge in our sin, right? The, do whatever makes you happy. It's said that the devil doesn't come in a red cape with pointy horns, but he comes as everything that you've ever wished for. Um, something you may not know about me is that I really enjoy fishing. Now, uh, Tim uh, Thorson, who's not here with us today, he really, really, really likes fishing. Um, if you know him, and he would say, I don't like fishing because I don't even have my fishing license yet, but I'll change that. But, yeah. Uh, but I picture that Satan has this tackle box full of all of the normal sinful desires and that he's a pretty good fisherman. Right? He knows what lure will catch you. 
right? He knows just how to wiggle the bait to get his fish. And I like this analogy because it makes me a fish, right? And I always think, man, how do fish keep falling for the same trick over and over again? But don't we all? Our response should be the same as Jesus, to be able to point back to Scripture. I think we all struggle to see our physical lives kind of on the same level as our spiritual. It gets really really easy in the world that we live in to separate those two things. So we're like, you know, I'm doing fine, you know, over here spiritually and things. And we let our physical side of life really take us down without realizing how much they're attached. And Satan knows this, and it's why he attacks us there. But Jesus reminded Satan that he is more spiritual than he is physical. Right? He quotes in Deuteronomy 8.3, um, the quote that he quotes from, the man should not live on bread alone, it's from Deuteronomy 8.3. And he said, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. It basically is telling Satan, you think I'm weak because I haven't had any food, but I'm strong because I know truth. Right, Just because I haven't had physical nourishment, God has been speaking into me, and I live off of the very word of God. Right, you got to remember, right before he went into this temptation, Jesus was baptized, and God just spoke into his life, you are my dearly loved son, in whom I am well pleased. Right, When Satan's like, mm, are you sure you're not hungry? Are you sure you don't want to be tempted to do these things? He's like, God just told me, my father just told me that he is pleased in who I am. And you think I'm going to fall for that? I live off of everything that God tells me. Right? To combat temptation, we need to know truth. Sure, Jesus wanted bread. He must have loved bread, right? Communion, like, to represent who he is, he chose bread above all other foods, right? If Jesus is the best thing that I know, right, and he chose bread, right, because he loved it that much, right? I love bread the same, you know, and so I love Jesus, right? But he knew that he couldn't give in to Satan's temptation just because his flesh was willing. Spiritually, he understood that all he really needs in life is God. Now, we need to watch out for small areas of temptation that don't necessarily feel dangerous, right? Because, all right, God's like, yeah, you're right. Or Jesus like, yeah, Satan, you're right. I can't turn that into bread. Bread, ate it. And we're all like, is that sin? Have you ever thought about that? Right? I, Jesus ate bread all the time. It wasn't sin just because it, it was there. And so many times temptation feels like that. Where it's like, you know, it's not necessarily wrong. Right? Isn't that how it all started at the very beginning with Adam and Eve? That they were tempted to sin. And they're like, well, God told me we would surely die if we ate this fruit. And Satan's like, oh, you really think you're going to die? You really think it's going to be that bad? I thought God loves you. Right? And we fall into temptation because it's just a little bit twist of something that we're like, you know, it's probably not really all that bad. Right? Jesus is probably like, yeah, I could take that bread, put some jam on it. You know? He's thinking about down the road when he gets to eat it with some fish and feed a bunch of people with that bread. He probably got a little hungry. He's like, no. I, I get what you're trying to do here. You're trying to get a little part of my life to give to who you are. We have to watch for that. And the more truth that you know, the more Satan's lies will become evident. I think that if he can get us to compromise physically, he can then get us to start doubting our faith. And the next temptation is easier easier for us to fall into. 
See, because the devil doesn't stop there. He's not like, oh, you don't want bread? All right, peace out. He's like, all right, let's step it up a notch, right? So verse 5, it says, the devil took him and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I'll give, give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think the second way that Satan tempts us is that Satan will tempt you with false versions of your dreams and your aspirations. Right? He knows what you want most. And he will come and offer expensive shortcuts to the counterfeit version of what God has for you. Jesus knew that he was supposed to be our king and leader. He knew that eventually all authority on earth was going to be given to him. Right? That was his plan in life. And he also knew that the path to get there was through death on a cross. Right? So Satan showed up and said, hey, we can skip that whole gruesome cross thing. Right? You, I know you don't want to do it. I know you're, you're already dwelling on how horrible it's going to be. Just bow to me. I'll just hand it all over. And there, done deal. Right? Same exact plan, you know, in the end. But the way to get there is not what God had called him to do. That temptation is very real to all of us, right? We all have dreams. We all have ambitions. We all want to aspire to something better than we are right now. And Satan knows those things. And he will come and he will try and make you an offer. You can't refuse, right? I'm not very good at these things, so just laugh at me even. That makes me feel good. Um, But we need to refuse those things. Think about how many get-rich-quick schemes exist out there in the world. Because as humans, if we can find an easier and quicker way to do something, why not give it a try? But usually there's a cost that we don't consider until we're already paying for it. Right? We try to do the same thing with other, other stuff as well. Like We're always trying to, like, well, you know, if I just didn't do work as hard in this area of life, but I still get paid the same, then I'm going to keep trying to do that and get away with it. And then that slowly sneaks into our spiritual life, where it's like, you know, I already have all of God, so why would I want to do the things he wants me to do? We try and cut corners in our spiritual life as well, and we don't understand why our life looks like the way it does. Right? Satan knows what he's doing. He's not dumb. At a minimum, the temptation of our world to be successful is real enough that it only takes a few whispers of Satan to get us to consider it. But you need to look at the cost. Does does the cost of it mean that you're sacrificing something that goes against the word? Is it costing you your devotion to God? Is it costing you the ability to raise your family the best? Is it keeping you from reaching others? Does it keep you from loving others? If you choose that path and look back at your life, who would you truly be serving? Right? Jesus' reply to him is like, no, I'm, I'm only going to bow and serve God. Right? I don't care what that path looks like. I don't care how hard it's going to be. This is my call to serve God only. The temptation of worldly success will always be there. But we need to remember that our purpose is not for our own lives, but for God's glory, as Jesus said. And for those who need to be brought from darkness into the light. 
I think one of Satan's biggest plans is just to keep us so busy in our own lives that we don't have time to reach out and do the things God has called us to do. Right? There's another saying, you guys have probably heard it, that Satan doesn't need us to, be get, to get caught up in some big sin. He just needs to keep you busy enough to miss out on what God has for you. And that's really easy to do in the busyness of our world. Right? We, we talked about rest in this text thing that we're doing for this summer. Right? I think this is one of the biggest commands that, that God has asked us to do, and Jesus still obeyed in, in the cycle of his life, was taking Sabbath rest. Because it's honoring God for stewarding our time well. Right? And guess, when you take that rest, it's an active work against what Satan's trying to do in your life. When you say, I don't need to go and work for myself. I don't need to earn my own glory in any way, but I'm going to sit back and dwell in God's rest. Satan hates that. On top of that, it then gives you a chance to reflect on what God's doing in your life, space to talk to other people and do what God is asking. Satan then tempted Jesus a third time. It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The third thing is that Satan will try and get you to question your faith and your identity. Just like this example, Satan's like, if you really are who God said you are, then this is what should happen. Right? He even twists scripture. He used scripture in there to make it seem like it's going to be okay. But again, this is why knowing the truth of scripture's entirety is so important. The way to combat this temptation is to really fully grasp who you are and whose you are. Right? I've always read this verse and wondered about Jesus' response to it. Because I thought it was weird that he's like, you don't test God. Because when you read through scripture, all of these people who follow God tested him often, and he responded. You have like Gideon who, who threw out the, the fleece and was like, okay, God, you know, let the dew be everywhere but on the fleece. And then he was like, all right, God, you, failed the, or you passed that test, but there's a second test. Surprise. And did another test, and God didn't get mad at him. God actually went through with it. So why would Jesus say, don't test him? But Jesus was quoting a scripture from Deuteronomy 6, 16. that says, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. Now, this story of what happened at Massa is found in Exodus 17. The Lord, through Moses at this time, had used Moses. He rescued all of his people from Egypt, um, from slavery, and they're traveling through the desert, and they're in the desert, so they were very thirsty. And they begin to complain. And Moses asked God for water, and, you know, he, he struck a rock with his staff, and water poured out. But in Exodus 17, 7, it says this. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Right? They tested whether the Lord was with them or not. It's okay for us to test God in his plan for us and what he's doing in our life, but we should never test his faithfulness to us. Right? God is over and over again through his promises saying, I am always faithful. Even when you're faithless, I am always faithful. My timing is always perfect. I, do you know more than me? 
Right? One of my favorite sections of scriptures is Job like 38 through 40, where Job begins to question God. You know, you guys have probably been there. And this is the issue, the same issue right here, where he begins to test God's faithfulness. And he starts to question God, and God shows up and says, do you know who you're, you know, accusing right now? You really want to take the Lord to court? He's like, could you actually, hey, how about you tell me how the sun rises and, who, and how it happens? Do you know how, Job? Because obviously you do. You're questioning me, right? And this two, three chapters of God just bringing all the things up that he knows so much more about and trying to put it into worldly words just for us to start to grasp how much greater he is than us, how much bigger and how much more faithful he is to us. We are all here in this moment being able to breathe because he is still faithful for the world to work in the way it does to produce oxygen for you to breathe. And that your lungs would actually work the way that they do and take in oxygen and then produce back out carbon dioxide that would then go and feed the trees to be able to return that back to oxygen and bring it back to you. Like, God is so faithful that he has all of these millions of tiny things happening all the time just so you could come here and be alive today. And that is what we do not test because you can look everywhere and see the evidence of how much bigger he is than you will ever be. I realized I was reading Jesus' response wrong. Jesus was telling Satan that Satan must not test God. Satan began to question Jesus' identity. Right? We started out that challenge, that, that temptation, every single one, technically. If you are the Son of God, Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He just walked away from God saying, you are my Son. Not only did he know that from that, but he came from heaven, from his Father, and was there. And Satan was still starting every single one of these with, if you are the Son of God. And he was like, Satan, don't test me. Remember who I am, but remember who my Father is. Right? When Satan comes at us to test us, he starts to get you to question what you believe and what you believe about yourself. You have to remind him, remind Satan who God has called you to be and who you belong to. Right? This again comes from knowing truth. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. But you got to know that God is always faithful, that his promises are always true, and that he is a good father who stands up for his kids. Because right? I know if somebody was starting to bully my child, start to question his identity, who he is, the life that he lives, it would be really hard for me to not step in and do something about it. Right? I've never punched a child. Just want that to be clear. Okay? Uh, Jesus' response in my eyes was like, Satan, do you remember what happened last time you tested God? Do you remember what happened last time you tried to stand up to my father? Do you remember how you got here? Do you remember who my father is? Because I feel like you don't. The things you're saying, you would obviously would never say to his face. Right? You, you, you got here because you started questioning things like this. Right? We are the children of that perfect, faithful God. 
And when Satan tries to take that from you, we often just let it slowly spiral us down. But we got to remember that Satan doesn't even have a right to say that to us. You got to stand up and say, Satan, get out of here. Right? Get behind me and don't tell me I'm fabulous, okay? But it continues in Luke in verse 13. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Satan is never done, op- done tempting you. There's always a next opportunity. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It, he doesn't give up. You'll never just win and be done. I want to point out a couple more things about temptation. First, just as Jesus came from this huge big step in his faith walk of being baptized, not only that, he heard God speak audibly into his life, how pleased he was with him. Right after that moment, he was tempted by Satan. Right? God said, you are my son in whom I'm greatly pleased. And Satan steps up and said, yeah, are you really sure you're the son? Right? Because that, I mean, that's really how life goes, isn't it? Like we find, we found some, some good breakthrough. We, something good happens in our life. And we're like, man, I'm good. And then Satan steps immediately in and says, are you sure that's really how it went? Are you sure that that's really what God said to you? Right? One day we're at this awesome mountaintop experience. And the next day, it's like we're in the lowest valley of our lives. This happened to multiple people through the Bible, but I want to talk about Elijah real quick in 1 Kings 18 through 19. Uh, 18 and 19. It says, in this story, Elijah is, is proving who the real God is. Right? He's up against all these false prophets, and they, um, they come up with a challenge, and Elijah's like, hey, you make a sacrifice on that altar to your God. You get it all prepared. I'm going to make one over here, and then we're going to pray to our gods. You pray to yours, I'll pray to mine, and we'll see which God comes and consumes it with fire. Right? So they... They set up their whole thing, and they're praying, and they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to try and get their God to come and burn up that sacrifice, and nothing ever happens. And Elijah, who knows who his father is, who knows who God is, and knows his faithfulness, says, hey, guys, you want to see something real funny? Right? I want you to get all the water you can find and dump it on top of my sacrifice. Actually, you know what? I'm going to build a trench around it. I want you to fill the trench with water, too. So much water. Let's just put the sacrifice in a pool. And then I'm going to pray to God. And they're like, okay, duh. Like, I accept that challenge. And Elijah prays, and God's fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, dries up all the water that was there, and puts it to this, like, a deserted desert land again. And then it says, within the next chapter, Elijah is depressed. He says, I feel alone. I don't want to live anymore. People are after me. Can you you imagine seeing God be that faithful to you? And then the next moment of your life being at the lowest low? Man, Satan gets so upset when we progress in our faith. He gets so frustrated when God shows up and shows that he is faithful. And he doesn't like that, and so he steps up too. He tries to get in the way. I say this because I want you to understand, especially for people getting baptized today, that Satan's not going to be like, oh, he's baptized now, off limits. 
You know, man, that would be nice. But understand that you aren't alone in those moments. You have a church body here. You have a God who's always there with you. My favorite thing is after Elijah says all that, God's like, I think you just need a snack and a nap, you know? Uh, and he, he's like, hey, how about you sleep? And Elijah, like, sleeps for, like, 40 days. Uh, which, man, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I'm going to guarantee none of our texts about rest says sleep for 40 days. But uh, God shows up. He provides food for him. He's there with him. He doesn't let it go through alone. He even reminded Elijah that he's not even alone as a person, that there was many people who believed the same things that he believed. And there are a lot of people on his side. And guys, secondly, the best way to avoid temptation or avoid these things with Satan is to just run from sin. Just try and stay away from it. Right? Over and over again, the Bible just says, flee from sin. 1 Corinthians mentions it, I think, like 13 times or something. Just run from sin. Flee from sin. Get away from sin. Right? Joseph was another great example of this in Genesis 39. Joseph was this servant slave for this man named Potiphar. Have you ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? The scene kind of happens. They sing a nice little song. I don't think the song happened in real life. But um, Joseph was in charge of this whole household, right? And Potiphar, you know, especially back then, he was a man of great wealth. And uh, so his wives were probably a lot younger than he was. And Potiphar was probably not very happy to, or Potiphar's wife was probably not very happy to be with Potiphar. But now this young, handsome Joseph guy was walking around in charge of everything. And, and she kept trying to seduce Joseph, it says. And one point, uh, one point in time, they were, they were alone in the house, and she grabs onto Joseph's clothes and tries to drag him into bed. And he literally rips off his clothes and runs out of the house naked, okay? That's kind of what we need to do with sin, right? And I don't go run around naked, but the issue is that sin normally has some spot of our lives where it's grabbing a hold of us. And we usually want to keep that, too. And so we just keep letting sin drag us back, or we keep dragging sin around with us. And the reality is we should tear it off of our life and run away from it. I like to call this freedom from sin, okay? But sometimes the reality is you can't get away from temptation, just like Jesus. Right? It just comes. It just happens in life. Sometimes it's the only way to get from where we're at to where we're going is to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, as Psalm 23, 3-4 says, where sin is just around us. It says he guides me along right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That first line says that he, that is the right path through the darkest valley. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand. And um, whenever I think of or read this scripture, I picture this scene in Finding Nemo, um, and uh, Dory is specifically given instructions, right, to, to go to how to get to Sydney, Wallaby Lane, right, uh, P. Sherman in Australia, and uh, to, to find Nemo, and the last thing they tell her is, don't go over the trench, but go through it. Let's watch the clip. Bye. Oh, hey, ma'am, one more thing? Yes. When you come to this trench, swim through it, not over it. Trench, through it, not over it. I'll remember. Hey, hey, hey! Hey, hey, wait up, partner! Hold on! Hey, wait, wait, wait! I gotta, I gotta tell you something. Whoa. Nice trench. Hello! Hello! 
Okay, let's go. Oh, no, no, bad trench, bad trench. Come on, we're gonna swim over this thing. Whoa, whoa, partner. Little red flag going up. Something's telling me we should swim through it, not over it. Are you even looking at this thing? It's got death written all over it. I'm sorry, but I really, really, really think we should swim through. And I'm really, really done talking about this. Over we go. Come on, trust me on this. Trust you. Yes, trust. It's what friends do. Look, something shiny. Where? Oh, it just swam over the trench. Come on, we'll follow it. Okay. Boy, sure is clear up here. Exactly. And look at that. There's the current. We should be there in no time. Hey, little guy. You wanted to go through the trench. I shall call him Squishy, and he shall be mine. And he shall be my Squishy. Come here, Squishy. Come here, little Squishy. Ow! Dory, that's a jellyfish! Bad Squishy. Bad Squishy. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Get me. Come here. Let me see that. Don't touch it. Don't touch I'm it. I'm going to touch it. I just want to look. Hey, how come it didn't sting you? It did. It's ow, just a little still. I live in this anemone, and I'm, I'm, I'm used to these kind of stings. Come here. Ow, ow, ow. It doesn't look bad. You're going to be fine. But now we know, don't we, that we don't want to touch these again. Let's be thankful this time it was just a little one. <gasps> ah! Don't move. This is bad, Dory. Hey, watch this. Boing, boing. <gasps> Dory! Boing, boing, boing. You can't Dory! catch me. Don't boing, bounce on the tops. They will boing. not sting you. Boing. The tops don't sting you. That's it. Two in a row. Beat that. Dory. All right, listen to me. I, I have an idea. Uh, uh, a, game. a game. A game. A game? Yes. Ah, I love games. Pick me. All right, here's the game. Whoa. Um, Whoever can hop the fastest out of these jellyfish wins. Okay. Rules, okay. rules, rules. Okay. You can't touch the tentacles. Uh, only the tops. Something about tentacles. Got it. On your mark, get set. No, 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 wait, wait. Not something about them. It's all about them. Wait. Dory. Gotta go faster if you want to win. Whoa, Dory. Whoa. Wait a minute. Dory. Whee. So we're cheating death now. That's what we're doing. We're having fun at the same time. I can do this. Just be careful. Yeah, careful I don't make you cry when I win. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Give it up, old man. You can't fight evolution. I was built for speed. The question is, Dory, are you hungry? <gasps> hungry? Yeah. Because you're about to eat my bubbles. The clownfish is the winner. Woohoo! We did it! Look at us! Tori? Oh, no. Tori! 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 Am I disqualified? No, you're doing fine! You're, you're actually winning! But you gotta stay awake! Uh, where does P. Sherman live? P. Sherman, Wallaby Way, <gasps> Sydney. That's it! Wallaby Way. Stay awake! Sydney. Stay awake! Oh, stay awake! Stay awake! Sometimes the temptation in life is just to take the way that we think is easier, right? It keeps us away from maybe previous bad places in our past, but really the safer option is the right way that God is leading us. But often getting off the path that God has for us leads us to dangerous places. You know, maybe something shiny leads you there, something squishy keeps you there.
But the reality is, you know, it's kind of pretty quick. We get distracted when we don't listen to God. We get off on our own path a little bit. And even though, you know, some things are causing some small pain, we don't remember what we were supposed to do. And before we know it, we're surrounded by things and we can't find our way out. Right? The small things turn into big things. And sometimes we try and make temptation a game. Right? Like, how close can we get to sin without getting stuck? Right? I found a way to touch it without it hurting me. But the Christian walk should never be about how close you can get to sin and not actually sin. Right? If you walk that line, at some point you will cross over into sin. You should be chasing after Jesus and away from anything that would tempt you, anything that would keep you away from him. And there's a deal here that there will be a way out. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt, but there is a way through it because there's a Savior on the other side. And really, there's a Savior where you're at. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Hebrews 4 makes the same promise to us. In verse 15, it says, This high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I love this. It actually says that he... This, when he understands our weakness, in the Greek it says that he co-suffered. He suffers with us through our weakness. It wasn't a, a past thing. It's a current thing that he is suffering through our weakness with us. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I also believe sometimes we just fall back into sin because we don't fill our freedom with the correct things, right? Or even know how to live in freedom. Uh, Ralph and I, he, yeah, there's Ralph. I think he's sleeping. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, Ralph, Ralph came up to me after last week's message. And uh, last week we talked about, um, we kind of, I guess we, we compared when, when we, we choose to not repent, or we choose to not leave our sin behind, that it's similar to a prisoner whose cell door is open in their prison um, but doesn't want to leave. They choose to stay in their sin, and they, they don't want to go and live free. And Ralph brought up that, you know, sometimes it's hard because you don't know what to do with your freedom, or there's a lot of repeat offenders out in the world around us because they, they get their freedom, and they don't know how to live in freedom, and they end up back in prison. And, uh, you know, that can, we talked about how that can happen to people spiritually. Right? It's why Paul admonished us in his scriptures to, to not use our freedom to sin all the more. But you need to fill your life, that freedom, with the things Jesus would want you to do with your life. Right? At minimum, our purpose statement that Noah talked about in his announcements will help you this, like, this track. Right? We, there, there's a purpose in why we say that you should gather in community. Because in your freedom, instead of filling it with sin, gather with like-minded people who are also trying to avoid sin. Right? When you have a community that is like-minded, striving after Jesus together, looking out for each other, encouraging one another to become more like Christ, they'll help keep you on the right path. They will come. They will fight your battles with you. Right? This is the purpose of our Sundays and our community groups. And when that happens, it will cause you to start to grow in Christ. Right? You need to fill your freedom with things like the habits of Christ, 
Things like getting to know your Bible so you can know that truth to fight temptation. Read it often. Meditate on it. You need to spend time with Jesus in prayer. Understand how faithful he is to you and how close he is to you. If you need help learning all these things, because we all do, you should be in an intentional discipleship relationship. Find someone to be your spiritual travel guide, is what we call it here, who is willing to walk through life with you and show you how to live like Jesus. And you should be showing someone else as well. And then you got to take God's commission and his commandments seriously to go and serve the world around us. Right? If you're honestly working at all those things, you're not going to have time to sin. Right? You know, if, if Satan's like, main job is to get us so busy with his things that we forget what God has for us, what if we became so busy with God's things that then we would just forget about him? Right? We've got to be careful that in the freedom that God gives us that we don't just use it to go back into sin. But also remember that God knows you will fall. Right? He understands you're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. We don't use that as an excuse to not try and live a life without sin, but we don't let it keep us down. We don't kick ourselves when we're down, and we don't kick others when they're down. We lift them up. Shame and condemnation are not from God. Right? That's Satan's biggest weapon to keep you from living the life that God has called you to live. God is a good father who picks you back up, bandages, cleans your wounds, and sends you back out to live the life he called you to. Right? Could everybody just close their eyes with me for a second? Maybe today you find yourself tangled in sin. And you're just now finding that God wants to set you free. And maybe you've given in to the temptations around you. And now you're in this bad place. You don't know exactly how you got there. But know that God knows how to get you out. That Jesus is there for you. He's your Savior and he is providing a way to get you out. And today you can change that. And if that's you and you're ready to get out of that sin, all you have to do is tell God that you know you messed up. That you acknowledge your sin. God, I've done wrong. And that you're sorry. And he will forgive you. That's his promise. And he'll start to take you out of your mess. And if you want to do that today, would you just raise your hand so we can pray with you? Thank you, guys. And as I pray for you in just a second, just say those things to God. God, I, I, I see that I've messed up. I see that I'm in a place of sin, and I want your help to get out. I believe in your son. I believe that Jesus did die and make this way for me. And I want to try and live like that. I want to try and live more like Jesus. You just tell him that while we pray. God, I, I'm just so grateful that you understand I'm an imperfect person. God, I'm sorry for the things that I've messed up on just this morning. God, and I pray that you would forgive me, God, and I, I'm sorry that, that I, I've fallen into those traps again, God, but I am grateful that you lift me back up. I'm grateful that you say, it's okay, it's all right, we'll get this next time. God, I pray for those people who are, are hurting and they're lost and they don't feel like they know the way out, God, that you would show up and you would be that deliverer for them, God. God, you would create that path that, that it, you smooth it, that you would remove the rough ways and the sharp curves and that you would make it a straight path out of the sin that they are in, God, and into your arms that they would find you there, God. God, that you would meet them where they're at because you're already there with them. 
God, would you show them where you're at? Would you show them your love? Would you, you remove the shame and the condemnation that they may be feeling because of where they're at in life, God? And would you lift them up? Speak life into them. Let them know that they are your dearly beloved child. And Satan, you don't get to mess with God's children. I know you're already around. I know you're trying to plot the next way you're going to get at us. But just leave us alone. You don't want my dad to get involved. God, I thank you that you are faithful to us. God, that no matter how many times I slip up, you are still faithful and that you will still come and and do something good and, and make something good out of the mess that I made. God, I love you so much. And I'm so grateful for all you've done for me. God, help us to avoid sin. Help us, you know, deliver us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation, God. God, will we follow your truth and follow your scripture and follow the path you made for us, Lord? And when we slip up, would we just come quickly and boldly back before you for the mercy you're already waiting to show us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If this is your first time that you've made that decision to say, I want to be someone who follows Jesus, um, on that card that's in front of you, there's a box that says that you made a decision for Christ. And I want you to, to fill that out and take it to the resource center, which is the booth out there, um, and turn it in there. We have a book for you about what it means to walk with Jesus that really lays out some simple things. But we also want to be praying for you and resource you. So um, please do that. And if you're getting baptized today, go ahead and line up in the hall. Um, I'm going to be there in just a moment. And uh, reminder for those getting baptized to uh, stay around so we can get a picture together afterwards. Uh, I want you guys to remember that Satan is actively looking for ways to tempt you. Right? And I think that's the importance of if he's so active trying to take me down that I need to be active in walking with God. Right? And that if we're not being active, he's working way harder than we are. And it's not about the effort to find God, but it does help us stay away from what he does to us.